Work environment means everything when it comes to getting stuff done. If you feel good working, you will want to work more, and in turn, you're more likely to be successful. So in today's episode, Mark and I will talk about the tools that we use to run and manage our business day-to-day in 2019. If you add all of these up, we probably spend about 90% of our work time on these tools, and they have been carefully selected for a number of reasons, which we are going to share in this episode. So if you want to learn how to build a perfect work stack for growing your online business, listen up. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business, and finally, live life on your own terms. Now, your host, Gael and Mark. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today, I'm with Mark again. How's it going, Mark? As always, it's going fantastic. Thank you. Great. So you're basically great every week. So I don't know why I'm asking. <laughs> but anyway, we're going to talk today about nine tools that we use. And this is not like necessarily site building tools. Actually, there's no site building tool in here. It's more like the, the, the stuff that we spend all our time in. Like when we run our business, what are we looking at on our screen? It's usually one of these nine tools. I've been like 90% of our time, at least for me. Uh, when I looked at the list, I was like, yep, that's what I do. That is what we're going to talk about. And a lot of these tools are like a mix of productivity and kind of like SEO tools and kind of planning tools and so on. We outsource a lot of content creation. We outsource a lot of link building and so on. So as a result, we don't necessarily spend most of our time doing the actual task, but rather managing them. And so this is a lot of what we're going to talk about today. And I think that leads perfectly in for the first tool, which is Asana. So Asana is a project management tool. There are a lot of project management tools in the market, but we've chosen Asana and we use it for basically any kind of work-related task. I mean, when we had our quarterly meeting with Mark, what we said about Asana is, you know, you want to do work, you need to open Asana and you just need to go through the tasks. And if your tasks are not in there, you need to fill it up. And I would say it's kind of a challenge to keep these kind of project management systems up to date. And we've been struggling a lot with this, but we, you know, it's getting better slowly. And the reason why we picked Asana is because, first of all, it's flexible. It has things like custom fields. So we can, for example, for when we organize content, put the categories of the content. We can put the target keyword for it. We can do all of that. It's also beautiful, which is nice. It's motivating to have like a beautiful work environment. And it integrates with uh, things like Google Drive, Dropbox, and so on. So it's quite good. You want to say something about Asana, Mark? Yeah, so they've also introduced like the task dependencies. So when one task finishes, it automatically triggers the next one, which for project management, if you're doing any kind of like system or process, like publishing content, that's an amazing feature to have. And they also, I think last year or the year before, they introduced boards, I think they're called, yeah, which were more kind of like Trello style cards and for, for anyone doing like scrum or agile methodology it's really good for for that as well now yeah it, it's really good they also have the calendar view they have all of that it's really it's a really complete tool but the interface is not too overwhelming for the amount of options they have which is something that a lot of product management tools have they just uh, they're good they have all these options but it's very very complex to use asana used to be like that they had a redesign something like two years ago and it was not very nice before that and really, they've done a really good job at like streamlining things and just making you want to like work on it, which I think is quite important for this project management tool. If you don't enjoy yourself working on them, then then you would just not use them. Yeah, um, I think that's the that's the key with any of them. You'll talk about alternatives shortly, but with all of them, when you go on the sales page and look at the the demo video, it looks amazing. It looks like it's going to be an absolute game changer, and it can be. But the biggest problem with all of them, we've tried many alternatives in the past in previous businesses as well. The biggest problem with all of them is user adoption. So that's getting yourself and getting your team to use it religiously. It's always, always a problem. Yeah, I mean, if you're out of sync with your tasks, so like if you're like working but not like, you know, putting your work on it or you're not completing tasks, etc. Essentially what you have is you have a difference between what's happening in real life and what's in Asana. And just outdated. The information you find there is outdated. And as a result, it's just not useful anymore. And then people slowly detach themselves from it. So 
it's really not a tool thing. It's more of a, of a usage thing. If you're going to be doing this kind of stuff, you need this to be as close to real life as possible. And so that means that as soon as you do something, just journaling it on, on Asana and or any other project management you're using. That is the, one of the main challenges of using these kind of tools. How much does it cost? Well, there's a free version that's pretty complete. It doesn't have things like custom fields. It doesn't have dependencies and a few others, but it does have the basics. And if you want to get started with Asana, I wouldn't pay for it. I would literally start on the free version. And then if you like it, then after that, the version at $9.99 per month per member is pretty good. I think we pay like $120 per month on Asana or something. I saw the bill not that long ago. So that's why it costs us. So it's not too bad, to be honest. Like Compared to what these a brick and mortar business costs, but our costs for all these tools are really low. I would just like to add that they can actually add up. So when you start adding yeah. in guests to Asana, I think they used to be free, but now you have to pay for them or in certain situations you have to pay for them. So if you start adding in all your like freelance writers and whoever else you have in designers and, and whatnot, just remember to go back and remove the people you're not using because yeah. it can really add up quite quickly. I mean, that's how they make money, basically. They're like a freemium company. So they really like only have 5% of their users paying them, probably. And so they need to be a bit sneaky on their monetization because of all the free services they provide, essentially. In terms of alternatives, there really is a lot of alternatives in project management. I can't really quote all of them, but Trello is probably the most popular in the industry. Uh, Trello is kind of like a really simplified version of Asana. I find Asana better now, especially now that they have the board system that's like Trello. I just don't yeah, Asana basically copied Trello yeah. when they made that version of that board system. It's it's identical. The only right. downside with Asana is you can't publicly share a template for yeah. a, a project. So I think in one of our courses, the Authority Site System, we built like a pre-made project on template. Trello, yeah, yeah, on, and we did it on Trello because you can share that with other people who aren't you know in your in your team, as it were. Yeah, it's it's the one reason why I still have a Trello account. Otherwise, I would just use uh, Asana for everything. It really does everything Trello does now. It's just like it's a little bit cleaner in terms of interface as well. Trello is aging a little bit, but if you're more of a like agency or so on, like something that someone that has to deliver services to clients, a lot of people prefer Basecamp to it. It's a very different style. It's it's more like replacing email, etc., which Asana can do, but it's Asana is more task-oriented and Basecamp is more discussion-oriented, I would say. Yeah, I, I think Basecamp is best if you're like an agency working with clients. It's just very, very smooth, very crisp for the like end user. It works very well with email. I mean, all of those, you can, all of these, you can reply by email. But just in general, the user interface, I think in Basecamp is much more simple, really. And it just feels like a, a nicer tool to to use from, from that perspective. The feature set is nowhere near as good as Asana is, though. Yeah, I mean, it depends what you... Like, if you just want a clean communication tool, yeah, Basecamp's pretty good. There's, like, new tools as well. Like, a lot, there's a lot of them. But, like, Monday.com is a new one that came out recently. They advertise heavily on Facebook. And it looks a little bit, like, more oriented towards these agile work systems, you know, where you, like say what you're doing and then what's in progress and what's blocked, etc. So this kind of stuff, you know, it, it is a different alternative to the vision of Asana and a classic to-do system. And you have the enterprise version of things such like as Jira and all these very complex project management systems that are usually overkill for what we do and not very nice to use and really like it's a bit of a pain in the ass to just open it that's why i, I quite i kind of insist on like all the apps we use to feel beautiful and good when you open them and make you want to use them because it's already a constraint so the less constraining it is the more chances you have of succeeding with them so it's quite important and gyra definitely is not beautiful but it has more integrations because it's older and that kind of stuff yeah, I think a lot of like development teams tend to use Jira. It seems to be better for for certain things in in that realm with like agile methodology and and all that. Yeah. So the one thing that annoys me a bit with Asana though is and we're going to talk about this that we use also Slack to communicate with our team so as a live chat. And I really wish Asana could just replace Slack because I feel like on one end we're like having discussions on Slack and then what that does is that pushes further whatever task we're working on. Let's say like we're working on a piece of content and we have a big discussion on Slack about it. 
then what's on Asana instantly becomes outdated because of the fact of that discussion on Slack. And what I wish we could do is literally just start a chat on a task or something with anyone involved and you'd get some kind of pop-up like Facebook style that would pop up and just have a chat. And then the chat log would be like an item on the task in Asana. And as a result, it would like always have all the data inside Asana for the task that you're trying to work on. So what I really wish Asana did and uh, makes it not a 10 out of 10 for me is the fact that live communication, it does work. You can comment in real time. I remember when we were in Chiang Mai with Mark, we did that test, like we're both on our laptops and I was convincing him that we should replace even our live chat Slack with just Asana. And he was like, yeah, but it's not instant. And I was like, I guarantee you, if you comment on Asana, you're going to get the message just as fast as, as fast as Slack. And you do. The problem is the interface is really not made to chat. And as a result, it's not super nice. And I really wish they just worked on that and offered some kind of like chat tool built in and just made it an all-in-one so we don't have to use anything else. But maybe this year, who knows? Uh, I don't know what you want to say about this, Mark. We've been getting slightly better at using Asana. We still have a long way to go. But I mean, just this week, all of our team now have their own kind of boards in there with all their task lists. It's one thing to set it up. It's another thing to for it to be used properly and consistently. So for the time being, we will have to continue to kind of like pressure people to use it more. And that's normal when you're trying to adopt a system like this. You're never going to get it working like fully from day one. So just kind of accept that it's going to be a bit of a battle to to get there. The one thing I wish Asana did better is around replicating tasks. It's very slow to do that. There's You have to click a bunch of options and then make sure you check or uncheck the right boxes for what you want to do. Uh, I wish there was a, an easier way to, to do that. And also for bulk uploading tasks, there is a few options for that. There's not very good ways, at least at the moment, where you can do that where the tasks also include subtasks, for example. It's something I'm sure Asana will fix. I've seen it on their support board, but yeah. Yeah, so that's basically it for Asana. A really good tool for project management. Not perfect, but still highly recommended. And you can use it for free, so really uh, give it a shot. And really organizing your work. I just want to insist that a lot of people struggle in this business, but then when I look at the way their work is organized, I'm like, what's going on here? And it's a mess. And so... Highly, highly recommended that you organize your work and your task. Usually I like to do that on like Sunday evening, you know, before the week starts. Just like putting down everything I want to do in the next week and what we're going to work on, etc. And what that does is when you have that kind of downtime, when you've just finished doing something and very often we're just like, oh, what am I going to do next? And it's the open door to procrastination at that point where you're like not jumping on the next thing but like you're like not sure so you're like oh, i'm just gonna watch a youtube video and then like 45 minutes later you're still watching the replay of the overwatch League grand final you know so <laughs> anyway what this does is instead you will just open asana and you will check what are your next tasks and because it's clear and outlined it's going to remove a certain degree of anxiety on what to do next and it's going to make you a lot more proactive so highly highly recommended that you do that it's going to help you a lot the next tool that's going to help you a lot that's also free is dynalist and mark i'll let you present it yeah so i mean speaking of tools for helping you organize yourself i think dynalist is a is a kind of a, a big one here not so much organizing yourself but organizing ideas so Dynalist is essentially a tool for creating and arranging bullet-pointed lists. You can have indented lists. You can arrange them in different ways. But essentially, it forces you to have everything in one long bullet-point list. You can collapse parts and move things around. It just really help. There's plenty of features that like help you arrange things like that. But essentially, it's a very simple tool. What I like about it is you can do everything with just keyboard shortcuts. You don't need to be clicking on menus and options and, and all that kind of thing, which actually now that I think about it, Asana also has a lot of good keyboard shortcuts. So yeah, that's, a, that's another plus for Asana. But with Dynalist, yeah, it's just a really good way to get ideas down. And then after you have those ideas down to arrange them in a meaningful way. And you can also share these lists with people and there's view and edit access and all that kind of fancy features. So what do we use it for? We use it for planning all of our content. So all of our podcasts, we will, before we create them, we will have a dine list where we put down all of our ideas. And then for each kind of key point, we'll maybe like fill in a few notes about it 
as like sub bullet points and then maybe like sub sub bullet points if we want to go into further about some more ideas and then we will maybe arrange that in a different way so for example with this podcast you're listening to we put down the tool ideas originally it was the top 10 tools we use and then we only had nine and then uh, we thought we we're gonna only have eight but then we ended up with nine and then we like reordered the re- order that we're doing in them so it was like Gail will talk about one then I will talk about one Dynalist just helps you to to do that in a very clean, easy, simple way. Very good for podcasts. Also very good for blog posts, particularly longer ones where you have a lot of ideas that you want to kind of get across, a lot of key points that you want to communicate. Before you start writing, and I show this in the authority site system, it's a really good idea to use Dynalist to just get all these ideas down, flesh them out a little bit more, and then arrange them, organize them. See if you start talking about the same thing twice, maybe you can condense that into to one point. Maybe it would make more sense to rearrange your content in chronological order, or if it's a list post, maybe it doesn't matter. But it's just a really good tool for for doing this. I, I think you also use them for doing planning YouTube videos now. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I use it for everything. Like I would say, any content, anything, including planning sites, including everything, yeah. is on Dynalist. Like my Dynalist is fucking massive, and I just anytime I need to brainstorm anything, it's there because it feels like a blank canvas that, and you don't really get. You can just reorganize things left and right, etc., and you don't get any limitation on how you can organize things. So also when you're doing research, right? I would say there is a limitation in that you can only add bullet points. You add them, you know, you're just creating one long list essentially. Okay, you can indent it. But I think that's one of the beauties of Dynalist is it forces you to to do that. It's not like a notepad file where you can suddenly put in like a a, a paragraph or paste in a bunch of text. It's like, it forces you to be succinct to be in short, your, yeah. your planning. Yeah, yeah. And and it, there's a lot of like tiny things that make you great. I mean, the keyboard shortcuts are great, but for example, if you paste a link, like it makes it clickable, but when you click it, it opens it in a new tab and it doesn't, like all these little, little things that make the whole thing really fast and smooth to use. Also like everything's instant. There's no lag on anything. You don't wait on anything to load or anything because the interface is so simple. And the fact that you can also have like a folder system on the left and actually indent your your lists themselves into orders, it's it's really powerful actually. I would say as well that if you do planning a sitemap of a site, it's really good for that. Often if you're you have a hundred, two hundred, three hundred potential content ideas then it's very difficult when you're coming up with them to see exactly which category, subcategory, sub-subcategory, everything is going to go in. So having it all in Dynalist is a really good way to use a sort of base to, to organize things. And you can like collapse the list so you can kind of see everything much more clearly. You can zoom in in a way. It's really, really good for that. We actually used to use a similar tool called Workflowy, which does exactly the same thing. I can't actually remember why we moved away from it. I think it's because workflow started charging you. Yeah, they limit the number of nodes you can have. Right, okay. Like I have like so many because I invited so many people on it. So it's like they kind of like, they have kind of a Dropbox system, you know? Oh, okay, yeah. So like for me, it was really not an issue, but like then people I would work with, they wouldn't have that and so on. And just uh, Dynos is a little bit more refined, I would say, overall. Yeah, and it's a hundred percent free, which you can't really can't complain about. It's, yeah, there's not even awesome. advertising or anything. Like, it's yeah, just like yeah. whatever. I don't know. I don't know how they make money. There must be. I don't think they make money. Well, all they just retarget the hell out of us, you know. Yeah, there must be something with that though. Like they can't just operate that for free out of the goodness of their health, you know. Um, yeah, it depends. Like some tech companies, you know, it's like this is really a cheap tool to operate, right? Like there's sure, not yeah. a lot of server cost. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's possible these things exist. It's like if I wanted to monetize, I would literally just use the keywords in the list to build retargeting lists that are targeted and sell the audiences to advertisers. But eh, maybe call me if you need to talk. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. In terms of the the alternatives, as you said, workflow, how much does it cost? Is one hundred percent free. What do we wish they did better? Well, I mean, Gail, you said it's real time, but it's not really real time. Kinda, yeah. It's kind of like a little bit delayed real time. What would be amazing is if if you were typing. I would see, and and we're working on a shared Dynalist, I would see literally the character appear as soon as you type it. But that doesn't happen. Yeah, like Google Docs. That's because this is a really good functionality there. But that doesn't happen. 
it's not far off it. We're talking two, three, four, five, sometimes 10 seconds before something will appear. But if you're both working on the same part of a list, uh, you know, sometimes I can be writing something and then suddenly your text appears and it's, it's a little bit kind of janky in that way. So that's the, the main thing I think they could improve on. But hey, it's a free tool. We're not expecting them to, to kind of over-deliver. But well, you know, that's exactly why it's free. I was going to say, it's like, if you wanted the thing to refresh in real time, the number of refreshes hitting the server would be like way higher. Like we're talking 100 times higher or something. Yeah. So you, you would use way more resources. The way they maintain it free is because you use low server resources. And yeah. that's why. But that being said, I mean, if it was like, 10 bucks a month or something i would yeah, happily yeah, yeah. pay that now you know we should just make a donation to them to be honest <laughs> i might actually it's definitely it got a lot of work done for us and so but i want to say these dynamics like brainstorms we actually attach them to asana tasks usually so when we say work on a piece of content then we have these because we said we have custom fields in asana then there's one field that's like the dynamist brainstorm and we're able to do brainstorms on dynamist to get the share link put that on Asana, and then anyone that's on Asana on the task can click and open a Dynalyst brainstorm from there. And that's usually like a really smooth integration of these two systems together between collaborating and brainstorming. It works really well for us. I really like Dynalyst. Highly, highly recommended. It. And it's free. So yeah, we don't get paid for this, definitely. We don't get paid for anything on this list, apart from Ahrefs, maybe. But the next tool is not Ahrefs. The next tool is Slack. So Slack, what does it do? It is a team communication tool. So it's a, it's kind of a chat. It's kind of like Skype for companies. It allows you to do chat rooms, one-to-one chats, video calls, screen shares where you can draw on the other person's screen. So let you imagine where people draw on it. What else does it do? Yeah, it yeah. connects to a lot of other apps. So you can kind of use it as a as a feed. You can connect things like your social media. So whenever someone tweets at you, there'll be a, a message in the channel. You can connect your support platform, like whatever you're using there. And if, if when someone has a new issue, it will post in a specific channel as you direct it. If you make a sale through Stripe or whatever e-commerce platform you're doing, you can connect it that way as well. It's, it's really quite flexible. I, I would say we don't really utilize those functions that much. It's more just a pure chat system for us one thing as well that we don't use but as a lot i see the guys at uh, thrive themes use a lot for example is like threaded discussions so basically what you can do is like someone posts a message on the room and then people can reply to this message but it doesn't actually populate the, the chat feed you know so that you can start a topic it's kind of like a almost a forum forum slash chat and as i think that uh this is something it works also like facebook comments basically like reply to a comment and so on and so it's quite powerful in the sense that you can actually declutter communication. We don't do that at all. We're terrible at it. But it's something that for the people that want to use it is quite powerful. It also um, has a really good mobile app. So if anyone's remembered back in the day using Skype on your phone and just how much it would drain your battery so quickly, Slack is the opposite of that. It's really like low resource app. It works very well. You can customize the notifications very, very well i think and so you can set it to only notify you in certain situations or if you get someone mentions you we'll, it would do that so yeah it's it's really good yeah skype is so bad these days i feel it's just bought by slack so you move you know it's so bad we used to use that and we're going to talk about alternatives in a second but it's it's absolutely terrible i just want to say why we use Slack. i mean first of all once again it's one of these things where it's like it's beautiful it's nice to use and it feels nice to use it so because it feels nice, you use it and it's very ergonomic. You too, not too many options, but enough customization, et cetera. And the integrations are nice. So for example, for me, I plug the RSS feeds of pretty much the entire industry of whatever industry I'm working on. And then it allows me to like see what they're publishing in real time as a chat notification in a channel, et cetera. I have our sales in there. I have like multiple interesting data in there. So it's kind of like a notification center for me as well, which I quite like. And so, yeah, that's basically what it does. Uh, I, as I said, I wish that Asana could replace it, to be frank, for work. I think it, it would be even better. But for now, that's what it is. How much does it cost? There is a free version that is quite limited in terms of like saving your history. But otherwise, it's pretty good. You could run on the free version. We've run on the free version for a long time before we started paying. But after when you start paying and if you want more options, it starts at $8 per month per user. So once again, it can add up fairly 
quickly, but it's still acceptable. In I, I would also say that the search functionality in Slack is really good. That was, I think, one of the biggest drivers initially. We used to use just Skype chat for all this stuff. Like, it seems so archaic now thinking about it. But the search functionality in Slack is just fantastic. And it really allows you to find old messages. And, you know, if I'm sending Gail a, a password or like a URL for something, then it's very easy I'm to find it most of the time. Anyway, but yeah. <laughs> so alternatives to Slack, what else could you use instead of Slack to communicate with your team? Well, one that a lot of people use, but that's not super good still, is a Gchat. Gchat is the Google chat in the Google Suite. It's like it's really, really old school. Uh, not a lot of options. Not very nice to use. It's really like this nice to use thing, and the search function doesn't work very well, etc. So, I, I like Google Suite, and we use Google Suite. And I, once again, I wish they did a good job. Like now, the Hangout calls are pretty good for for G Suite to the point where like we had to switch from a Skype call to a G uh, Hangout call yesterday because Skype decided that it would be even more terrible than usual. But it's still not that great. It's uh, really, I wish Google did that for Google Suite. I think that would be a huge move forward. They have started that. I think they still have this beta program on like this. I think it's, I can't remember the name, like Gchat for business or something like this. But it's still not that, not as good as like. Skype is another alternative if you're really looking for a full-fledged free solution. But as I said, Skype is just a, really a piece of shit these days. I don't recommend it to my worst enemy. It just crashes all the time, uses your battery on your phone. Uh, you lose sound in the middle of a call. It's just like, you know, they, they're trying to make it a Snapchat competitor with the stories, but nobody ever uses it. It's really going in a weird direction. I don't recommend it. Another one that people don't really talk about is uh, Facebook for Business. So if you Google Facebook for Business, you'll see that Facebook has actually some kind of like company internal Facebook solution. I think it's 10 bucks a month as well, where you get groups, where you get a messenger, but just for work, etc. So you could use that if you want. I haven't used it. I don't know very many people that use it. I could imagine even it being discontinued because it's already like two years old and I don't think it has a really wide adoption, but it's something that you could use instead. I see Mark added Discord on this. It's funny because like, yeah, I play video games and uh, I started using Discord recently. Discord is kind of like a Slack for gamers. So you open it, it has like advertising for gaming, etc. But the technology behind it is almost better than Slack. It's quite amazing. People build entire communities on it. The voice chat is is flawless. You can automate anything you want, integrate with anything you want. It's a beautiful interface. It's really like, I almost feel like Slack is just a copy of Discord for business. They're like, oh, this is such a great technology. Let's just adapt it for business and build a company. So yeah, it almost feels like Discord is ahead. So if I was like just bootstrapping with some friends or whatever, then Discord is a great place to actually do your business communication. I would consider checking it out, especially given the fact that it's free. One other good thing I, w- I just want to say about Slack is that you can, if another company is using Slack, you can do this kind of integration where you connect the two and you can create like shared channels. It's like for you, it appears that they're just in a channel on your Slack and then on their Slack, it appears that you're just a channel now. So they don't get access to any of your other private stuff or anything, but it's just a, a good way to communicate with other companies who you you know, have close partnerships with and whatnot. Yeah, we have that with several tool companies and so on. It's quite nice to give feedback or to discuss, etc. What I wish they did better though is the Asana integration because we use Asana. A lot of integrations, they, have, they really have a lot. They have hundreds of integrations, but it feels like some of them have been built in a day or without really using the tool and so on. And you don't necessarily have as much action on the tool that you want. Like, you know, you can create new tasks from Slack, for example, by typing a, a line of code, but you don't really have a lot of options on how to customize it, putting the deadline, doing all this stuff. And I just wish there was a visual interface for it, to be frank. And then that would be amazing. But yeah, it's it's a little bit hacky and, and not the best. So some integrations could be better. Some are good, some, some could be better. That's the one thing that I guess they will work on over time and they might be working on already. But other than that, it's pretty good, even though I still wish Asana just had a solution to just replace Slack and have just all work on one platform. That would be the ideal solution for me. Talking about no transition at all, because it has nothing to do with it, 
Mark's going to talk about Zero now, which is our accounting software. Yeah, so Zero is a cloud accounting or bookkeeping software. It allows you to have a copy of your books, your company books, in the cloud, which means that multiple people can access it. They have a, an app for your phone, so you can scan in expenses and receipts as you're kind of as they come up. One thing that Xero does really well is it integrates with everything. So you can connect PayPal, you can connect your bank accounts, you can connect TransferWise now, Payoneer, all these tools, which most likely you're, you're using, there's a way to connect them, even Stripe. You can, you can do that via a third-party tool very well now. And that enables you to have a almost real-time picture of your company accounts it lets you see really how your business is doing up to the minute if you're updating it and the feeds are feeds are working um for for us we have uh, a bookkeeper go in and do all the reconciliation and stuff once a week so every week our accounts are, are up to date which is vastly vastly different situation to where we were two years ago i think three years ago our old accountant was more of a traditional accountant who didn't really understand online businesses. So like once every quarter, every three months, we would just send her all our CSV outputs from all our e-commerce stuff and all of our PayPal transactions. And she didn't really understand what an affiliate account, affiliate transaction was and all this kind of stuff. It was a bit of a nightmare. But the worst thing about it was that we would only kind of understand where we were, where our books were every three months because like quite quickly after that it would get out of date so we didn't really know where we were kind of if, unless we had just done our, our accounts like that so it wasn't a very good solution and we were using a cloud accounting software a different one back then so having it updated regularly is super important and just having the ability to go in at any time and look at the profit and loss account and really dig into some of the things is super useful for for anyone running a business especially as you start to grow and your costs start to rise there's been many cases when i've discovered things which we're paying for subscriptions that we hadn't canceled or just general the general health of projects or or sites is a really good way to kind of get an understanding of that so we use a zero for all of our bookkeeping and accounting. Everything is in there. We use it to generate invoices if we need to do custom invoices. We use it to track payments. It has this cool feature that lets you know anything that's overdue. So if someone hasn't paid, it uh, it lets lets you know that. It does all our. We're in the UK, so it does all our VAT reports, which is really really important. All of the feeds connect automatically, and then just whenever we need to do the VAT report. Our bookkeepers just literally press a button and it generates it. So it saves, saves a lot of time. Also means we get kind of cheaper bookkeeping. So nothing needs to be done manually like that. Does all our payroll as well. So when you're paying employees, when you have to pay taxes and, and employer taxes on that, it'll calculate that and do all the submissions and even connects to the, the UK government and does all the submissions for you kind of semi-automatically at least. So it's really cool from that, that perspective. And yeah, as I said, day-to-day -day allows us to see our profit and loss account which is kind of the thing I, I use it for, I think, the most. And I, I've been trying to encourage Gail to use it more. I think <laughs> you're starting to see the value in, in looking at these things now. Yeah, I'm, I'm always focused on like just making more money and not really looking at the account, but now Mark made me look at it. And doing okay so far, so pretty happy. Anything else you want to say? Yeah, so we, we picked Zero because it's one of the industry leaders. They're really, really switched on when it comes to integrations. So for example, TransferWise, which is a payment processor we use for doing on multi-currency transactions, the first integration they built for any of these software tools was to Zero. So I think that kind of says a lot about why you should choose zero and not one of the, the competitors. The other thing I would say is our accountant or our bookkeepers, company called Bean Ninjas, who specialize in doing accounting for online businesses, they recommended it as well. So that's kind of the reason we decided to, to go with it too. But very, very happy with it so far. Very happy with Bean Ninjas. If anyone needs a bookkeeper, go to beanninjas.com. They'll sort you out. In terms of pricing, it's $9 a month it starts at. But that's only really if you have five transactions a month or something. So any 
normal business would most likely need their $30 plan. Or if you're doing multi-currency accounts, then you'll need their $60 plan. For some reason, the US version is a lot more expensive. The UK version of the multi-currency plan works out at only $35 a month. So not quite sure why there's that discrepancy there. But Does it work if you're incorporated in any country? Yeah, it does. If you have some kind of like off the books, British Virgin Islands or Hong Kong company or something that you don't want whatever tax authorities to find out about, you can still do your bookkeeping through through zero. That's that's fine. It does, doesn't sort of discriminate by country. I presume there are some regulations and, you know, if you want to do your bookkeeping in China or something, there's probably certain ways to pay tax or declarations you need to make. So I don't think they officially support every country, but you can kind of use them off the books if you want if you wanted to. Not that we do. We're we pay all our taxes. We're above board in, in that sense. And uh, yeah, as I said, if you're inter- the IRS, please don't check us. That's yeah, I mean, we're we're incorporated in the UK and it, it in- integrates very well with all the government systems they have there. So most major countries have that set up as well. In terms of alternatives, there really are a lot. FreshBooks, QuickBooks, Zoho Books, Wave, sort of, are some of the main main competitors. ClearBooks is another one in the UK. But Zero, as I said, it has 500 plus integrations, almost every bank account. Even all of our obscure ones in the UK connects to it. So it's really good. And I would thoroughly, thoroughly recommend that. If you don't have a cloud accounting software, then you absolutely should get one. It will dramatically change how you, you see what's going on in your in your business. The only thing I would say it could be a little bit better is the dashboards. They're not particularly useful. I think they'll probably add some more customizations and stuff in there in future. But I know there's like an, a zero app marketplace now as well. Not something I've played around with too much, but there's probably some uh, some dashboard or some reporting type solutions there as well if, if we did want to get into that. But the basic thing kind of does everything we need to really. I think that was the most passionate discussion about accounting software that ever was on the podcast. Well, it's it's a valid point. I, you know, we we were in a mastermind with uh, some businesses which are really like much much bigger than us. You know, ten times the size of us and whatnot. And about half of the people in that room didn't use any kind of software like this. So they were still having their books updated once a quarter and stuff. So I think it's an important thing to do. And I think there's a lot of mistakes we've realized that we were making by having this this software so yeah i think everyone should should have it sounds a bit like my mom telling me to eat broccoli but yeah i agree it's (laughs) i agree it's useful i just know that a lot of people that do this stuff they do it to escape this stuff but as you grow you kind of have to go back to it a little bit as you grow your business like sure you can just run your business on the side on paypal at the beginning but eventually when you're making good money you're going to have to do all this stuff. And, you know, that's the kind of the perks of hiring you guys like Bin Ninjas, et cetera, because they do it all for you. And then they build these automations. So we don't really have much to do other than checking the dashboard regularly and inputting expenses that we have. And uh, that's basically it. But I know that a lot of people are like, they just don't want to do the accounting, basically. But if you don't want to do it, just check that out. That's exactly what it does for you. Let's talk about the next tool, which has nothing to do with accounting. And that's going to be G Suite. G Suite is, well, the productivity suite from Google. So it does email, Office Suite, Calendar, pretty much all the basic tools. And that sounds basic, but I know a lot of people still run their business on a default Gmail account that kind of comes with a basic version of G Suite. You still get the Google Docs, etc., but you don't get much storage. You don't get private sharing as much. You don't get all these options. And we really like it because it's really ergonomic and the collaboration for content is the most important. When we create content, we work with people. For example, I'm working on this case study, this mid-six-figure site we sold recently, and uh, I just sent this article to like 20 people. And the best way to get their feedback is to get a share link from Google Docs and then just send in the link. And then they, when they are logged in in their Google account, they can highlight parts of the text and say, hey, I don't really understand that. I wish this part was here, etc." And that allows us to just do better work and do it faster. Plus, it's quite cheap. It's $5 per user per month. Once again, it can add up if you're also paying for Asana, for Slack, etc. But it's not too bad. The alternative you could use for that, really there's not a lot if you want like a proper thing. I put Zoho in there, but I don't think anyone's using this. Most people just use their hosting and host their own emails and then plug it in an app like Outlook or Thunderbird or something like this. And all to a, a Gmail account. 
that can work, but then it's just it's just not the same. The the sharing and everything is just a little bit more clunky. I personally find the $5 per user per month really worth it. We also use Google Suite as our cloud storage. So like when we do videos, when we do all this stuff, everything is stored on Google Suite. So even if my computer gets stolen or something gets hacked or whatever, we have a bunch of backups in there. And that is a good security for your business as well, because knowing having lost a lot of things, I can tell that it's quite important. The one thing I wish they did better is to replace Slack, to be honest. They have this chat that's uh, pretty terrible. I wish we didn't need Slack as much as Slack is good. It just feels like it, it does too. It, it, you know, a lot of tools that we use could replace Slack and Nobody has managed to do it, which is very surprising, to be honest. Uh, do you want to say anything about G Suite? Yeah, I mean, G Suite is amazing. I think one of the best parts of it is that it basically is Gmail. So a lot of people are very familiar with using Gmail as their email. And then when they join your company, the email system is exactly the same. It's very sleek, it's very modern, it works on your phone. You know, you can use your G Suite account to log in and authorize apps such as Dynalist, for example just a good good tool the the drive part of it google docs google sheets while initially if you've just been using word and excel before and you're going to use that it can feel a little bit sluggish at times and if you have very big spreadsheets it doesn't work for very very well for example there are some more bigger limitations on it like that but the fact that you can collaborate is just insanely powerful. I know people are going to say, well, I can also do that with Office 365. And yes, you can, but it's not as seamless. It doesn't work as well with just sending it to random people, sending links to random people, not random people, but people out with your organization who... You do what you want, you know? Yeah. <laughs> people out with your organization who don't have a, an account set up or don't have the right software or whatever. It doesn't matter. Just in the web browser, they go to that link and instantly they're, they're able to collaborate with you on your, on your document to comment, to edit it. It works also in real time, which is awesome. So I can literally see key by key what someone's writing as they're, as they're writing it. Yeah, just an amazing tool. Cool. You want to take the next one? Yeah, so the next tool is uh, something we use for link building a lot. It's a tool called Hunter. Uh, The website is hunter.io. And essentially what this tool does is it will find emails for you. So you can give it a domain and it will give you a list of emails that it can find associated with that domain. It has various methods of data capture. I believe they do some scraping, but they also have some other interesting plugins and like Chrome extensions that do things like help you manage your your Gmail and stuff. And I think they probably crawl a lot of data from there to improve their their kind of database of emails as well. I'm not exactly sure how they do everything, but they have a a really, really big list of, of emails, basically. It also has some functions to verify emails, and it also has some basic outreach functionality, though that's not really its strength, and we use another tool for that, which we'll we'll get to later in this list. What do we use Hunter for? Well, we use it for finding emails of people we want to get in touch with. Primarily, this is with regards to link building. So when we we want to find the emails of a site owner to ask for a link, ask for a guest post, uh, propose something, then... We'll, we'll typically use Hunter to, to find that email. You can also use it for sales. So if you're planning on doing maybe affiliate recruitment or or if you're just doing cold sales, maybe you're in real estate or trying to sell your, your app or something, then it, it can also be a useful tool for, for that. And they do have a, a, Chrome, a free Chrome extension as well. So we don't have to pay for their expensive packages. You can just use, they do have a free package that lets you get, I think, 100 requests per month. So if you're just on a website, you can click the Chrome extension button and it'll find the emails that it can for that website just in the off chance you want to contact them. Why we picked Hunter specifically, though, was not for that, but because they have a really, really well-developed bulk domain search feature. So this is very useful with link building. You can upload a CSV file with a thousand, say, or you can do much more if you want, but let's say a thousand domains, and then it will output a list of emails that it can find for each of those domains in a CSV as well. Now, that's obviously very useful if you're trying to do bulk outreach or really scale your link building. 
Hunter is also good though, because the, it's the best in class in terms of the data quality. So the emails that it gets back, while not perfect, are I think much better than it, the the competitors. So it costs, there is a free package as I said, but you can't do any of the bulk features on there. The The cheapest feature, that, the cheapest package that lets you do that is the 34 euro, not dollar, euro per month package. And that gets you, I think, a thousand requests. And then there's a 279 euro package, which gets you 20,000 or something. So you're talking like 3.4 euro cents to down to half a euro cent per request. If you maximize How many do we those, use per month, those packages, it really varies a lot. We've maxed out the 20, 20K many, many times. But this last month, uh, I just downgraded it because we weren't doing that much link building over December because of Christmas okay. and, and whatnot. Yeah. And if you want to do more, there's enterprise plans available as well. It's actually run by like a guy, just a guy in Chiang Mai. Just like, it's really a small company, but they're doing really well, actually. It's, it's, quite, it's quite a cool startup story, I think. Uh, the guy's just just came up with this scraper and managed to be the best in the industry because he's such an amazing developer. Cool. But they they have just a few employees and it's really small actually. Maybe we can get them on the podcast sometime then. Yeah, actually I almost met with him in Chiang Mai but I missed him at the end but uh, I have him on Facebook so maybe I will. Cool. Yeah, maybe we should talk about that about like advanced email scraping or something. I think people might like that. Uh, there, yeah, I just okay. want to say, talk quickly about some alternatives to, to Hunter. So there's findthat.email, there's Voila Norbert, and there's Snovio. I don't think these are particularly good. The first two, because they don't have very good bulk search features. And the last one, which Snovio was on AppSumo a year or two ago, and a lot of people bought it. But the data quality on it is atrocious. We've done some testing to compare like for like. And sometimes Snovio will just give you complete garbage emails out, which obviously are not not legit. Whereas Hunter seems to be a lot better at filtering out the the really bad bad ones. So I would I would always encourage you to go for for Hunter over the others, even though it is more expensive. The one thing I wish they would do better is that once sometimes you can get more than one domain back per email. Uh, sorry, so more than one email back per domain. I wish there was a way to set some parameters so you could automatically filter it and get the best one you, you want to use uh, at the moment you have to go through manually and uh, and sort those. Although it's pretty easy to build like a macro or a, a mini script that will, will do that according to your, your requirements. So, yeah. Yeah, another tool I spend a lot of time on is, is going to be like pretty classic, but to be honest, not many enough people use it. And that's uh, Google Analytics. Before we get started on Google Analytics, I think most people know what it is. It gives you the stats and the track scores for your website, and it helps you understand how well your site is doing. I highly, highly recommend you go on the YouTube channel from a guy called Measure School if you want to learn more Google Analytics and how to track things. Because the main issue I see with people that do kind of okay with their sites, you know, like job replacing income, we're talking like two to six K a month, let's say maybe, but kind of get stuck there. A lot of people do is they don't understand what's going on. They're making money, but they don't know where it comes from. They don't know which pages generate the revenue. They don't know like which pages generate the clicks, which pages generate all that. And that's because they haven't learned tools like Google Analytics. I spent usually at least 40 minutes to 50 minutes per day on Google Analytics, just checking out top pages, checking multiple reports of where people come from, which devices they run, how long the pages take to load on multiple devices, time on page for multiple devices to see if there's responsiveness issues, these kind of things, like more and more I'm doing this. And uh, that's one of the things that helped us identify what the real winners were with the last site that we sold and why we were allowed to grow so quickly is because I spent all this time in Google Analytics and I was able to tell that you know we were doing well with this group of pages we generated like 10 times more pages we went from like 10 pages on one template to something like 50 or 60 and then revenue just exploded and that's what allowed us to sell this site for like mid six figures so why we pick google analytics that's an interesting one so a lot of there's kind of that debate of like you shouldn't give data to google uh, why are you using google tools etc the reason why we use it is because it's the most comprehensive tool by far. There are alternatives. I know a lot of people in this industry use Clicky. There used to be one that, that now is called Matomo, but it used to be called PeeWee, I think. And 
they're, they're kind of like children toys compared to Google Analytics. I'm sorry, but it's just in terms of goal tracking, in terms of data that you get, you get so much more from Google Analytics. And Google is going to get your data anyway. I mean, they get the traffic that comes from search. They get the data from these people. They know who they are, who they send to your website. They know who is on Chrome. They know who is on Android. They already have the keys to the internet. They have enough to then extrapolate the data and identify who your visitors are and, and all this stuff. How long they spend on your site. If they're on Chrome and Android, they can tell. If they come back to search, they can tell. So really, I just don't think Google's learning. It's learning more, but it's not, not learning that much more that it's going to threaten you. And anyway, Google doesn't really care about you. Like They do macro changes to the internet. It's not really about your site. So yeah, I... I Thing that everyone should be using Google Analytics. And I think it's crazy when people recommend Clicky or all these other tools because Analytics is free and has way, way more options. As I'm going to repeat it. If you want to learn Analytics, go check Measure School on YouTube. This guy has really easy to understand tutorials. I used to, it's a bit of a headache to use Analytics. And that's going to be the one thing I wish they did better is I almost wish there was an easy mode for it, which there is not. But... Apart from that, if you go through the, the measure school tutorials, which they do a really good job at bridging the gap for people who have never done analytics before, it's very manageable. And identifying what's doing well on your site is the key to going from, you know, as I said, making two to six, seven K a month to making, you know, three, four, five times that. It's it's understanding what's working and doing more of it. So highly, highly recommended analytics. I spend a lot of time on this. Do you want to pick the next tool? Yeah, the next one is uh, Mailshake. This is a, an out, email outreach tool which we use almost every single day for link building, sending out emails to ask for links, ask for guest posts, that kind of thing. It's really good in that it allows you to send a lot of emails but also has this cool mail merge type functionality so you can personalize emails kind of semi-automatically at scale. It also has things like auto follow-up. So if someone doesn't reply within five days or something, it will send a, a follow-up that you determine. It allows you to do A-B testing within there. So if you want to test which subject lines are getting the best responses, then this is the tool for you. There's some list verification technology in there now, though that's a paid extra. And you can, it, it's different from your typical autoresponder software. So it's not like ActiveCampaign or MailChimp where it's much more focused on, those are much more focused on subscribers and building engagement and managing the people that want to subscribe to your email list and doing all that kind of stuff. This is more about like cold email outreach to people you don't necessarily know. And so it's kind of designed around that. As I said, we use it for all of our outreach link building. This is the, the only tool we, we use for that. We actually picked it up on AppSumo on a deal, I think two and a half, three years ago now. Yeah, and, about four accounts or something, yeah. Yeah, and it was amazing. Uh, so I think we paid like 50 or 100 bucks or something for, for it. No, no, it was like $29. No, but we bought, we bought four of them. Oh, yeah, $29 times four, basically. Yeah, so what's that, like 120 bucks? And something like it's that. now $29 per month per user. And I think we have 12 users or something on our R1. Yeah, there's like three or four users per AppSumo account. Yeah. Yeah. So it was by far the best AppSumo deal we've ever picked up, even at $29 a user or $49 a user for the advanced account, which comes with a bunch of list verification credits. I still think it's a fantastic tool and we would probably subscribe for, for that price. I mean, if you look at the other outreach tools, they're like way more expensive, actually. Like if you look at Pitchbox, I think it's like $300 per month or something. Uh, Bustrom is more expensive as well. Like all the other outreach tools are more expensive and they don't really have this, the A-B testing built in the way the way Mailshake has and the automations. I did this AMA on this uh, SEO group yesterday and like the one thing people care the most about is like automating stuff. If you want a tool that automates a lot of link building, Mailshake is by far the best one at this, I would say. Yeah, it's a little bit different to Buzzstream. Yeah, we used to use Buzzstream before. Buzzstream is more if you're doing the taking the sniper approach and customizing each message and really learning more about your the person you're trying to get in touch with. Mailshake is more the shotgun approach, like just let's fire out a bunch of emails and hope some of them kind of like get into the inbox and, and stick. You do have to be a little bit careful. You don't end up like just spamming people because it will allow you to do that. But it's more leans toward that side of the the fence, I think, than the 
It works really well with Hunter together. Basically. Yeah. Like Hunter finds the emails and then Mailshake sends the emails. Yeah. The only thing I really wish it did differently was that sometimes the list cleaning functionality will actually crash if you have a big list of more than a thousand or so, which is really dumb. But it's like an API. It's provided by a third party. So I think there's some issue with the integration there. I'm not quite sure. We used to use a tool called Mailshake, before, uh, sorry, called Gmask before this, which was kind of the first one that was in this kind of position in the market. But they were just very against having any kind of user interface, even for their affiliate program. So they, oh God, that was it was bad. hilarious. But the, the tool for the Gmask tool as a tool uh, would only work within Gmail or Google Suite. So you had no kind of interface. It was very difficult to find things and it wasn't very good if multiple people were working on it because you had to share inboxes and all that kind of stuff. And it was, yeah, just not very kind of clean in the way you would you would use it. Mailshake, they don't even have an affiliate program, I don't think, but we, we wholeheartedly so recommend them just because they're a really, really good tool. So definitely that. expecting some Christmas gift or something. <laughs> uh, probably not, but whatever. It doesn't matter. We just say what we think about these tools. Yeah, it's like, by the way, I just wanted to say for people who may be new to the podcast, we don't get paid by companies for anything we say on this podcast. Nobody's paying us for anything. So like, it's, nobody's sponsored to be here, etc. And as you could hear, when we don't like a tool, we also say it. And with that, we're going to jump on the last tool. I think it was a good position before because we recommend it a lot as well. And that's uh, Ahrefs. You know, my guilty pleasure in the morning is to uh, go on Ahrefs and check the movement of our, the movement report in Ahrefs. So Ahrefs is a tool that gives you all kinds of SEO metrics. It gives you rankings, gives you keyword data, gives you backlink data, basically any information, dynamic information about SEO to make a decision is going to be in there and it costs $99 a month or from $99 a month if you pay monthly, $79 if you pay yearly. You know, I'm, sorry, I'm going to say $99. If you go in the organic keywords movement section, that it gives you an idea of like what main rankings have changed for your website in the last 24 hours. And so it just tells you like where you're headed essentially. And especially when I do a lot of on-page tests, Recently, just it just like really nice to do that. So Ahrefs is the place where we do any kind of like strategic thinking for SEO. Like, what are we gonna write about? How are we gonna build our backlinks? What kind of links do our competitors build? What kind of content has worked well in the industry recently? That's essentially the kind of questions Ahrefs helps us answer with all the data that they provide. And the reason we pick them over the competition. And the competition would be things like SEMrush or Moz, Substat to some extent, but Substat is a lot less developed. The rest, not really. I mean, Majestic SEO is only links. Some tools are only queues. I guess Mangools now, uh, they do have a backlink tool and they have a queue tool, so probably good enough to call them a competitor. But Ahrefs has by far the best data. They have way more data than most people. We've done several tests in the past, and they would often return three, four, five times more data than the competition and they also have the best interface. So like the keyword tool has, you know, filtering systems. So if you only want keywords that have the word what inside so that you can find a question and you want to find only low keyword difficulty keywords, that kind of stuff, you can filter for all of these without having to do things like export to Excel and then just look for it manually. Works the same for backlinks. If you only want backlinks that are from WordPress blog in English with at least you know, 50 visits to that page per month, you can do this filtering within Ahrefs. So it, it's really nice to be able to filter this kind of stuff within the tool. So that's that's why I like it. And most importantly, Ahrefs listens to their user base. And when we give them feedback, they actually modify their tools regularly to try to help out. And that's not the case of a lot of the competition that is a lot more sluggish and all not listening to the community nearly as much as Ahrefs is. So that's what I like about them. The one thing I wish they did better is having an on-page optimization tool. So as I said, I am doing a lot of on-page tests. I've released one test result that I've had recently on the blog last week, and that was about putting the last updated date versus the published date on the front end of the post and using schema. And our rankings just went up a lot when we did that. And there's a lot of other things. For example, I like to use TFIDF from Website Auditor. I think it's it's a good tool. And, and Ahrefs is not really good at helping you with on-page SEO. And I wish there was more tools for this. 
you will need other tools if you want to do this kind of stuff, but that's probably the only thing I can fail them at. The rest is pretty good, actually. So that's basically for the nine tools that we mentioned, really. If you add up all these tools, that's basically my working life or my life in general. I probably spend like eight hours a day, between six and eight hours a day, on these nine tools we mentioned today. And I'm pretty sure it's the same for Mark. So it's quite interesting because as we have staff doing a lot of the, the work, etc., like you find yourself edging more and more towards management. And what's important for us is to create a work environment that's enjoyable. And as you can see, a lot of these apps also just run on a browser. All of them really run on a browser, meaning that you don't even need an expensive computer or like a really strong working station to do all of this, to use all these tools. You just need a Chromebook or something very simple and you can pretty much use everything. A lot of them have free versions as well. So if you want to go check them out, I highly recommend you do because we have tested a lot of alternatives as you could hear and we have found these to be the best for the business model that we are doing, which is building websites. So if you're doing the same kind of stuff, I highly recommend it. Whatever tools you pick, whether they're the ones on this list or whether they're not, just make sure that you're actually using them and making the most of them. There's a very common sort of culture of buying a tool because you think you'll reap the benefits, but not spending the time or effort to actually implement it and maintain it and use it properly. Just kind of like have that at the back of your mind when you're before you sort of think of expanding your, your tool set too far. Cool. Well, thanks for listening, guys. If you enjoy this podcast, feel free to rate it on iTunes or anywhere where you listen to it. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next episodes. And we will see you next week. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Authority Hacker Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and send us a screenshot on authorityhacker.com slash bonus to claim your free premium Authority Hacker training.